Perfect. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, I have an author with me, and you know how I love to get authors with different tales, different stories, and a different way of thinking on books. I have Kimberly Van Ginkle with me. So, Kimberly, can you please uh, let the audience know who you are, where you're from, to a certain degree. Don't give too much away. And, um, <laughs> and then tell us what inspired you to write first. Okay. Okay, sure. So, hi, everybody. My name is Kimberly Van Ginkle. Um, I'm from the Midwest. And um, <laughs> see, I'm goofing already. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Uh, and what inspired me to write? Um, so I am one of those people that my, since I was a little kid, I've always had a, my nose in a book. I think in books. <laughs> I cannot go a week without a really good book going out. If I do, I get really out of sorts. So my life goal has been to be a published author. And now I can finally say that it's, it's happened. I've spent the last probably 10 years working on this book with all of the research on it. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, yeah. Well, it's set in the 1800s, so it took quite a bit of research. Um, I wanted to make sure that every bit of it was authentic. Okay, okay, I respect that. Now, let me ask you this. As a child, what was the first mm -hmm. book that, that drawn you in? I'll give you a little bit about me. Um, I read books up until second grade, but it was this book called The Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I, and even though it had illustrations in it, because, you know, you were in that period where you wanted to read, but... I still wanted illustrations. That book got me to where I love reading it. I started doing the book it thing and doing better with reading and stuff like that. And then everybody has that story of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But Perfect. it was that book, Phantom Tollbooth, that changed my life. Never seen the movie, which I just found out that there was a movie like four days ago. Yeah. But that book just revolutionized reading because I was like, there's illustration. All right, I'll get past illustration at some point. But it was that thing that bridged me from the elementary type books to chapter books and everything else sure. so what about sure. you you know the first the first visual book that I can remember was cloudy with a chance of meatballs oh I wow would that one forever <laughs> um, <laughs> um first chapter book might have been the secret of nim all right yes 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 I love that one but here's the crazy thing that when I think back to books that I was reading when I was first grade something like that so my oldest sister is 12 years older than me. There's a huge okay. gap. So at the point that I was learning to read, she was in junior high, early high school, and she was grabbing paperbacks all the time. So a lot of what I was reading were the paperbacks that she left laying around the room, right? <laughs> Which I should not have been reading at that um, The <laughs> first one that I clearly remember is called Griffin Loves Phoenix. And it's about a man dying of cancer, falling in love with a woman dying of leukemia. <laughs> Oh, Lord. At six, and I have no idea. I, I really don't know how I responded to it emotionally, but I think back now and I'm like, that should not have been in my hands at all. <laughs> but the crazy thing is it had an impact on you because you remember it now. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I remember that one very well. Yeah. So, so it had good points and bad points to it. Now, it now, let's get in here and talk about this book. Can you give the audience the title of your book? Sure. It's called In the Sleep of Death. Okay. And no, no. it's a... Draw us into it. Yeah. It's a supernatural fantasy set in the Old West and Victorian St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis, Missouri. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. What inspired you to write in this time period? Because people in general, you can write any time period you want to. 
But right. what, what drew you into this? What happened in life to put you in the, the mood and the mode to, to write that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, most of my life, when I, when I grew up and I was thinking fantasy, I think more like Tolkien, you know, Lord, either Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, that sort of fantasy. Okay. And so the first time I sat down to write this, it was in some quasi-European middle-aged situation with barons and kings. And I don't <laughs> know about that. I don't. And what saved me from going down that road, which would have been a disaster, is um, there's this, uh, the writer, her name is Diana Wynne-Jones. Um, okay. You might have heard of Howl's Moving Castle. She's the one that wrote that. Okay. It's an animated movie now. Um, yes, wrote, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She wrote at one point, uh, this, it's a nonfiction book, but it's called The Tough Guide to Fantasyland. And it's, it's a really funny book, but it just talks about how every fantasy writer makes the same stupid mistakes you know <laughs> and one of them is it's always set in some sort of a land that you know nothing about so you get everything wrong or you always have you know it's always full of worlds where everybody is off pillaging and nobody's home actually tending to their to their farms or anything like that so how do these people feed the armies you know things like that so when I read that book, I completely scrapped everything that I was doing. And I'm like, you know, I need to really listen to what people say over and over, which is write what you know. And I know the Midwest. <laughs> that's, okay. that's, I've grown up in the Midwest, spent my whole life in the Midwest. That's my heart and soul. So <laughs> I decided I'm starting over. From now on, every book that I do is going to have some connection to the Midwest. Okay. So, so, that, so you get... So that's, that got me the place. And then it just was a matter. And, and I knew that I wanted it to be sometime, you know, 1800s roughly, because I wanted it to be before she had any easy outs of like getting in a car and going somewhere, or, you know. Um, so it just took me a lot of time of researching this. And the reason that I settled on St. Louis, 1886, if you don't mind me going on for a while. Oh, yeah, go question. ahead, go ahead. Um, I, the more I researched about it, the more I just fell in love with St. Louis at exactly this time, because it was, it was this wonderful city that's right on the verge of the western half of the nation, okay, and it was a river port, just a bustling city, they had, I, I don't remember the population, but I can tell you they had an opera house, they had a baseball team, they had Budweiser, they had, uh, they had electricity, they had cable cars downtown for about a 10 year period. They had, um, they had riverboat traffic that was just, it, I can't even picture the number stern, of- Stern wheels all day long, right? Yes, yes. And of course they had locomotives coming in. They had the whole railway system. So they were this major hub. But if you go even five miles west, it's still what we think of as the old west out there. It's, you know, people still living in sod huts and everybody traveling by horseback everywhere. And I just fell in love with this one little place on in America that is just right on the verge of the new century like that. So as soon as I found all of this out, I had to set it right there. And so part of the story is set there and part of the story is set on the western half of the state. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Now, brain, brainstorming for all this, uh, you gave us that process already. Um how did you determine like exactly like set points of when you were like, like you decided 1863, correct? Um, 1886. 1886. So 1886, yeah. when you mm -hmm. decided at that time frame, what was the difference in that in 1863? Uh, you know, everything just fell together. Well, one of them is it had to be post-Civil War. Okay. Um, one of my characters is the son of slaves. And that's a pretty, pretty major that, heavy topic. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, but I, I didn't, 
I didn't want him to have grown up as a slave. Um, I wanted him to feel a little bit more empowerment in who he was and not have that hanging over him. Okay. But on the other hand, his father was, so he's seen firsthand exactly what that life was like. So it, that really narrowed down for me where I had to be um, to hit that. And then the exact year came because I just kept finding the more I researched, every one every really cool thing happened on this year. Like at one point, <laughs> Grover Cleveland got married in the White House. Now that's awesome. I had to fit that in there, you know? Okay. It just seemed like everything that I was researching was pointing me to this exact spot in time. It's like it was destined for me. Okay. Now let's go into the character development. Okay. How did you develop the characters for this? Are any of these personal people, like, did you take anything from anybody personal input in there or... Um, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I tend to think I put a little bit of myself into everybody, especially into the characters I hate, which is the weird thing to say, but it's true. The more I, the more I despise somebody, the more of myself I'm shoving into them to kind of make them a little <laughs> more relatable. Um, I probably shouldn't have admitted that now that I think of it, but, um, <laughs> but every, every one of them is a little bit like me. Like, um, Lorena is the main character and she's a very headstrong kind of a woman, very progressive for the time. And she's very quick to speak her mind, but she's very timid about standing up for herself, okay. which is, hello, that's very me. You know, <laughs> I will argue facts and figures all day long, but when it comes to emotions, I don't, I don't like to get into fights and I don't like to stand up to people on an emotional level. So she's very much taking it after me at, at that point. So those are the personality traits that she got. Now, um, her full name, is it Whitaker or Weight Taker? Whitaker. Whitaker, okay. Because I just had to know, because like some people will flip it around. So sure. developing this character, did you look in the mirror and see yourself in this time frame? Um, no, actually, here's what's funny. Um, so let me tell you about my family a little bit. So my okay. family, I'm, I like to tell everybody I'm fifth generation Iowan, <laughs> okay? okay? My family has, has dug roots in Iowa for a very long time. And the women in my family, we've got two things in common. One, we live for a very long time. <laughs> Knock wood, that's me. Two, we tell stories all day long. So when I was a kid, um, I would go visit my great-grandmother. And she she lived to be 105. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I was in high school when she died. And almost every time I visited her, what she liked to tell me was stories about her mother and her grandmother and her great-aunts. So... I've got some old photographs of my, so what would that make it? My great, great, great aunts who yes. lived around St. Louis at the time. And I very much modeled Lorena after them. Oh, well, so that, that's a good correlation right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Every time I wasn't quite sure what she would look like or what she would wear, I would pull out this old tin type that I have of my great, great aunt Missouri. And that's exactly what Lorena is. <laughs> so can you tell us about the villain in the story? Oh, Deidre. Yes. 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 So, um, so let me tell you just a, the, the beginning of the plot first and then okay. I'll make more sense. So Lorena, um, she's a young woman, uh, very headstrong. She does not want to get married. She wants to keep a little bit of her independence. She's grown up in a wealthy family. She doesn't have to get married. So she has decided, nope, she's, she's not going to get married. And then what happens is she starts dreaming about the same man night after night after night. Mm -hmm. After several months of this, she meets him in person. 
And she decides, oh my goodness, this is my, this is ESP. This is my heart telling me I have to marry this man. So she elopes with him. And it's not until after they've been married a while that she realizes that maybe it wasn't a coincidence that she was dreaming about him. Maybe it has something to do with the stolen Indian magic that he uses. <laughs> so he's not a very good person. Um, but talking about him a little bit. So he's actually, he played... There are actually two different parts to him. There's the, the man that she sees in her dreams, um, the young version of Diedrich who is in his early 20s, robust, um, fun-loving, absolutely adores her, a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> and then in real life, she has the older version of him. He's almost 80 when they meet. Um, he's, yeah, yeah, he's a- uh, Yes, yes. He's not a pleasant person to anybody. He's very, very obsessed with his studies. Um, very rude kind of a person. So, but she's got the back and forth of it because she really believes that the man she sees in her dreams really is him, just the younger version of him. So it kind of brings up the question of, you know, how much of your, how much of you is the same as when you were a kid? Like, are you still the same person? You okay. know? I, can see that I, I see sometimes videos of myself as a teenager and I think, yeah, okay, like parts of me were kind of cute, but mostly I'd be really annoyed with myself. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. You know, so, so yeah, so she's got both, she's kind of got two husbands, really, one during the day and one at night. And that's, 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 I mean, that's really strong, <laughs> I mean, that age gap there. And that's yeah. a, that's a good topic to put in there because that's got to be kind of hard to talk about, correct? Was it hard for you to do it in there or? Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this in writing this book. Um, cause, cause you know, like this is the Midwest and the Midwest is a place that even to this day, we're in 2021, you all mm -hmm. still have a little bit of mystery towards you guys. Um, <laughs> How do you mean? Well, what I mean by this is like, are you writing about this time period? I'm on the East coast. So you know, we have our folklores here. We have mountains and different things that go on out here. And I'm in West Virginia, so we have different folklores that go on. Right. Um, when you're writing this, did you target, like, just the Midwest with this book? Or did you, like, target the East Coast everywhere? Did so, you write it, write it in a manner that would fit with everyone? Um. So it's it starts off in the East Coast, actually. So And I tried to get a lot of real towns going on. So it starts off in Pennsylvania. Oh, Dips wow dips into the Carolinas a little bit, hangs out in um, Cincinnati and Ooh. then a little bit of Illinois, and then they end up in St. Louis. Right okay. About the middle of the All right. So you, so. you did it. You did everywhere inside that book. So on the flip side, uh, taking a moment away from the book, mm -hmm. after you got finished with this book, like what happened in life to make it to where you were able to finish this book at this time? Was it because of COVID-19 or you oh, just no. had it, you just had it in your heart that it was time to get this done? Uh, no, actually, I, uh, it takes about a year between signing the contract and getting it all the way to publish. So I had just sold it right before COVID hit. So oh, I can't. Wow. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is pretty awesome. Um, well, I mean, let me tell you this. It's amazing because so many people have become authors and, right. and you're, you're an author regardless because everybody writes something, but this, mm -hmm. this bold author, like, it's amazing that you did this before COVID. So you went through all this process during COVID and then you got your book out here. What was it like getting that first printed copy? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. It was, um, 
it was really a dream come true the day that it showed up. Um, my only regret is that I lost my mother this year. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, right, right in the middle of the year. So she was alive when I sold the book and she was very happy. And she told every relative that I've ever had <laughs> that it was coming out. But um, we lost her last July too. Um, I knew I was going to get emotional if I mentioned her, darn it. But we lost her last July to cancer. Sorry to so, hear, sorry. Yeah, so that's my only real regret is that she wasn't around to see it come out. So it was kind of bittersweet when I finally got it in my hands that I'd missed my window on that. But. but the cool thing about it is, you know, she's in heaven with this this whole idea and this thought. She knows that a piece of her, an entity of her, came yes. out in this book somewhere. So let me ask you this. Let me put you on the spot real quick because this is one of the immediate <laughs> questions. Where's your mom inside this book? There's a place. <laughs> it's hard to find a place that she's not, honestly. My mom <laughs> shaped so much of my life and my opinions on things. Um, but I'm going to say this. Every time there is a really funny joke in there, that's from my mom. Okay, okay. <laughs> my, so mom, my mom was very sarcastic in a very funny way. And there was never a time that I ever talked to her that we didn't both just throw our head back laughing at some point in the conversation. So every joke that's in there, you just know at heart, it's something I put in there to make my mom laugh. Okay. I can, I can run with it. And I like that your mom inspired so much of the book and she's a comic relief in the book. (laughs) She'd be happy to know that too. (laughs) All right. So um, when we do these interviews, it's a side to it with authors. I like to do, I like to Mm -hmm. get the author's experience, what it was like to write a book. When did you hit your first writer's block? Oh, see, I'm actually a very slow writer that way. I um, I will get an idea and get started with it. And then I'll set it aside and do research for a while. And then I'll go back to it. And then eventually I'll be like, ah, this isn't going to work. And I'll go off to and, and pick a completely different book and write on that for a while. So like right now I have two different ones that are warring with me. So every time I get frustrated with one, I go to the other. But this is so I wrote my first book when I was in high school and okay. it's trash, absolutely trash I will never show it to anybody but that's how long I've been kind of dribbling and drabbling at different books when I started this one I just knew this is the one it just all was clicking for me and I just knew this is going to be the one that that is worthy of being published so I kept I wrote the whole thing through but I felt like it was missing something. I just, I couldn't define what, I just felt like there was something that was missing. So I put it on the shelf for a while and I waited. And then what I did, and I, and this is my advice for anybody that wants to be a writer out there, by the way, is best thing I ever did is I joined a writing group, a writer's retreat group. Um, I'm in the Nebraska Writers Workshop and it it's done wonders for me. So I had the first draft of this finished And then I started going in and meeting with them. And so you read it out loud, you get some critiques and you find out right away what is and isn't working. And after about three times of going in, I suddenly knew what was wrong with this book and is that I just wasn't giving enough emotion to it. I was giving it, I'm very much a facts and figures kind of a person. Okay. Uh, And so I went back through and, and did the entire thing with a little bit more emotion and it just started to work for me. So there wasn't ever necessarily a writer's block period, but there was a cooling off period where I just set it aside to come at it fresh. 
and I like there in the same a bit you gave a little bit of advice. But the the great thing when you have an author on a podcast is that you now are gonna it's gonna be your book out there that that's that's a normal influence on people. But the audio, the visual, and stuff like that that's a different type of influence. So, what advice would you give to a fledging author that either wants to go the independent route or decides to sell their book? What advice would you give um, them? Two different things. Um, one is definitely join a writer's group that's going to do wonderful things for you. Another is if you if you can't find them and if you're not sure what to do, um, I really love the group on Twitter. If you do look for hashtag writing community, you're going to find people left and right that are there to help you, to give you advice, to boost you up when you're having bad days. It's been a wonderful thing. Um, most of my life, I stayed away from social media. I just didn't, I'm like, oh no, I'm just too much of a private person. I don't want to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. And I really only joined it. Um, when the novel was about ready to come out. Cause I'm like, oh, everybody goes online and promotes their stuff. I'll just do that. So for the first month, probably that I was really, the first month after the book came out on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, I was just like, here's my book, here's my book, here's my book over and over again. And I got about as annoyed with myself for doing that as everybody watching my feed must have. You just can't just see everybody just saying, here's my book over and over. And so after about a month of doing that to myself, I realized, I'm not connecting with people. I, I just need to enjoy people and put a little bit of good out in the world. So what I started doing after that is just looking for other writers that I could connect with, that I could have conversations with and kind of boost them up a little bit. And so that's the main thing that I've been doing online is whenever I see somebody that's just kind of very hesitant or just getting started, getting in there and kind of telling the world, hey, look at this person, look at this wonderful thing that they're doing, look at this, you know, look, go read her blog, it's really awesome, or go, you know, that sort of thing. And so my advice to anybody starting out is go find that community. I mean, look me up, I'll help you out. <laughs> I really will. Um, look us all up on Twitter and get started with it. It's just a really great way no matter what's going on, if you're just having a bad day and you just need a little bit of a boost, there's people out there that are going to help you. Or if you're stuck and you've actually got writer's block on a certain scene, just toss it out there. You're going to get some bad advice, but you're going to get a lot of good advice too, uh, just to kind of move you forward a little bit. Because we've all realized that as writers, we're really not competing with each other because if somebody buys one book and enjoys it, they're going to go buy another book. So we're all just part of the same and goal is boosting each other up. Okay, I really like that. Now, let me ask you this. What has been your biggest triumph and what has been your biggest failure in writing this book? So my biggest triumph and my biggest failure. Um, well, simply getting it published was the triumph. Um, that was that was the, the end all goal. Um, And the reason that we ask about the failure, let me tell, let me mm -hmm. give you a little little bit on this so you can think about it. The reason mm -hmm. that we ask about the failures because we always want to humanize things because people sometimes will give you um, all the glamour, all the glitz, mm -hmm. but when yeah. it comes down to like what happened, because I'll give you an example. I did this podcast with with uh, another person. That other mm -hmm. person had a had a little bit better likeness than me. It had a little bit more bravado. They went on to take our podcast somewhere else. They went to New York and now they're big time. Oh, with and okay. me personally, I had to go back in, re reinvent how I did the podcast. I realized that I'm a, a, a Barbara Walters, Larry King, 
I'm an interviewer. I'm going to pull right. questions out of you. I'm going to get answers out of you. Um, it's going to be fun. We're going to laugh. We're going to be smiling. Everything's going to get organic during the conversation, but I'm not this very, uh, I'm not going to say obnoxious. I'm not this very vibrant person. That's going to be like, Hey, Kimberly, what are you doing? Woo. Nothing <laughs> like that. But I'm going to sure. be like, I'm going to be like the guy that works at the convenience store that you talked to about whatever went on down the road that you seen five minutes ago. So I realized yeah. that that's the type of person I am. So that's what I had to, you know, kind of do there. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I know what you're going for now. So my, my failure came in trying to sell the book. Um, I'd, I had finally gone through, gotten it all done. I knew it was ready to go, but I had no idea how to pitch it because Ooh. I am not good at talking about myself, <laughs> let alone talking about my book. It's just not, it's, most writers, I think, are this way. We'd rather just sit in the corner and write and not have to get in front of people and talk. And every writer that I know is terrible about pitching their book because you now I've written this 300-page book and now I've got to get it down to one paragraph to try to get it in front of somebody. And right. I, I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed. And what? And, and I'll tell you, I got so many rejection letters on it that at one point, I remember... I remember going to my husband and, and putting my head on his shoulder and saying, maybe the world doesn't need more authors. <laughs> maybe I should just give up. And he just laughed at me and he's like, come on, just, just keep sending it out there. But what worked for me, and I tell this to everybody, um, there, and again, I'm talking about Twitter, but there's this thing that they do four times a year called Pit Mad, P-I-T-M-A-D. Okay. And it's just, a, it's one day every four, every every three months where unpublished authors can try to get their work out there and try to snag an agent. And so you get, you get one day, you can do three pitches, but they have, all have to fit inside of one tweet. So you've really only got, yeah, exactly. You've only got two sentences really to sell your book to the world. And that was the single greatest thing for me because you just have to stop trying to do the book report kind of approach to it. You know, we've all grown up in school where you read a book and then you give the book report where you have to give as much information to try to prove to the teacher that you wrote it. And I think when we're trying to summarize our book, we all try to do the same thing. You try to fit every character in there and every twist and turn in there. But really, it all needs to come down to two sentences because that's the hook. That's what it's about. Being concise. Exactly. Exactly. And having to bring it all down to one single tweet, it, it freed my mind because I'm like, okay, I'm just going to tell them about this one bit and not, I'm not going to worry about where it's set or, you know, all the different people in it. I'm just going to tell them this one basic idea that started me on writing all this and it worked. <laughs> it worked. You can do it. You can do it in one tweet. You can be just a little bit funny about it and just say, this is my one idea, take it and go. And it was, it was wonderful for me. It got immediate results as soon as I tossed that idea out there. Hmm. So I, I tell every one of my writer friends, you might as well try Pit Mad. It is not going to hurt you. There's no way you can fail at it. You cannot get an, an agent necessarily, but you can't fail at it. You have to try it. It's, it's, it was transformative for me. And see, that's amazing because, you know, in advertising, just in general, you have to give a pitch, but then you have to have a follow-up. Right. And in that, in doing it that way, you didn't have to worry about a follow-up, right? It was just there. Right, right. So, you, right, so, you, right. so look, in a nutshell, you've mastered advertising to a degree. <laughs> I know. And 
least on that one day a year. Yeah. I got to go. All right. So what is it like once you, you get an agent, you shop around for a deal, and we're not going we can never go into specifics of a deal because that's legality between you and right. them. So right. you shop around, you get a deal, you go through the contracts, you read things, you see how things are going to be set up, you see how everything monetizes. How did it make you feel inside to know that you were there? Like you were you were here as an author in the we'll just call it the internet realm. And now yeah. you stepped out of that realm because so many people go the so many people go to KDP route and put a book out on Kindle digital publishing and they're done yeah. with it and they're I'm an author, but you right. went the tried and true way, which is very hard to do now because you have such easy vice. I'm not saying it's, excuse me, it's not an easy vice, but you can just put it on Kindle and hopefully get it right. done. But the one thing in any type of content creation, which is podcast or anything else, you're not going to get that marketing. Uh-huh. And that marketing is so hard. If you don't have the the, the mind for that, you know, that's kind of hard. So you, you get all this taken care of. You, you sign this contract and your book is ready to go. And you're waiting and you're waiting. What was that anticipation like? You know, honestly, I felt it coming. I, I felt like this is the one, this is going to happen. And I just knew it was going to happen. And I had complete faith that it was going to happen. And I didn't tell anyone in my life except my husband because I didn't want to jinx myself, but I just knew. And then I, and I was checking my email every night. Is it there? Is it there? Is it, you know, is it coming? And I remember this one night I came home. It was in January. Um, and I had a terrible day at work and I came home and I'm just like, nothing good can possibly happen. <laughs> you know, 2020 <laughs> is, is 2020 is going to be a crap show. And this is long before we knew what 2020 was going to be. So my <laughs> pitiful day was not even the icing on the cake of 2020. But <laughs> I came home and I was just so miserable. And I was sitting on the couch and I flipped open my email and there it was. There was my off- author offer. And I was all alone in the room when I saw it and I started shaking and I ran upstairs because my whole, whole family was upstairs and I'm up in the hall. I'm like, guys, guys, I need you. I need you. <laughs> and so they all come out of their bedrooms to see me. And I was, I was shaking and I was crying and I couldn't talk. And they all thought somebody had died <laughs> you know, because I was just a, a shaking mess. And, and I showed them and I just held it up and showed them. I'm like, I did it. I finally did it. And it was a big group hug. And yeah, that was, a, that was one of the moments that I'm always going to remember. So you're going to always remember that. Now let's dive back into the book real quick. Cause we went off for a little bit and we went into everything sure. else. So sure. what supporting characters do we have inside this book that aid uh, Lorena? Lorena? Yeah, who ate Lorena during her journeys? Well, okay, so there's Lorena. I've already mentioned her husband, who's kind yes. of the villain of this. Um, Bo is really my favorite character. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier, Bo is the son of slaves. This takes place 20 years after the Civil War, so he wasn't a slave himself, but Lorena's father owned those slaves. Oh. So, Yes. So Bo and Lorena have a very complicated relationship. Um, also, um, as this comes up pretty early in the book, so it's not really a spoiler. They're cousins and all that implies. Ooh, Thomas Jefferson love. Yes, yes. All, all of that is going on as well. So there's a, <laughs> there's a, it's a pretty complicated relationship. And to be honest, I was, 
that's the one thing that I kept getting nervous about. Am I, am I really going to go this direction with it? Because I'm a white girl from the Midwest. Okay. I know absolutely nothing about either side of slavery. Okay. Right. And so I am a, I read own voices books quite, okay. quite a bit. Um, and if people don't know own voices is the term for any, any underrepresented group. So it can be a racial minority yeah. social or, you know, anything. Um, so I read those all the time, but I thought, can I possibly tell this story correctly? You know, do I have, do I have the perspective to do it? And several times I thought about changing all of it, but what kept me on it is, and, and I've read a million books written in the 1800s, all the Jane Austens, all of those stories. And it is really easy to just tell a story about the happy, rich people. But I wanted to tell the good and bad that happened in this time period. And I just didn't feel like I could only focus on Lorraine and her happy little life if I wasn't also talking about everybody who was still struggling at that point. So I was, like I said, I was really nervous about putting this out there, but the best, the, the first review that I got on the book mentioned how much she enjoyed the relationship between Lorena and Bo. And I thought, oh, that is the greatest thing anybody's ever going to say to me is that it, it worked and that it was, it was what I was hoping it would be. And uh, as I get deeper into it, I'll let you know personally. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. As, as far as I go with it um, and finishing it, the preview that I got. Um, so with all this tied together, what would be the crowning advice, the major advice, because we're going to go outside the book one last time. Okay. What would be the major advice that you would give um, an author that gets rejected? Because we're talking about criticism here. We're talking about having thick skin. Not a lot of people have thick skin. Um, right. In the job that I do, I have to have very thick skin because I have people that will tell me that, hey, this episode wasn't good. The pitch was too low. The pitch was too high. Or you're too far away from the mic. Um yeah. So I have to kind of do criticism like this. It has to have merit with me. It has to have some type of merit that I can put something factual with it. And I will always take an opinion that has that fact with it. So how did you handle criticism and the rejection? So, like I said, I've been writing stories and trying to get them published for a couple decades now. Um, and I was not at all good with rejection when I was in my 20s and 30s. Every time I got one back, it was just a knife to the heart, and I had a really hard time moving on. I think one thing is the older you get, the more you get a little bit grounded in yourself and you know, realize that one person saying no to you isn't the entire world saying no to you. Um, and again, the writers group that I mentioned, it's, it's really good when you have people that you trust that you're not related to, that don't have to be nice to you about this. That's a very important thing. But when you have people whose opinion you trust who are giving you feedback on a regular basis, it, it toughens you up and it makes you realize that they can say, oh, I absolutely hated that scene. And it doesn't mean they hate you. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're not capable of writing a scene that they're going to love. It just means that's where you're at. This, this needs to be redone. Right. And the, once you get to that point, you can just, you can take it in and revise it and know 
every revision is going to make it better. Okay, so you can kind of see a certain quality in the criticism in certain areas. And, and I really respect that because a lot of people don't get that. And I want you to know that that is going to be the gem in this episode beyond talking about your book for the simple fact that a lot of people don't have that mechanism. They don't have that speed. They don't have that mode. So I really want to thank you so much about that for that, Kimberly. Now, your book, it is out on Amazon. It is out where else? Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, a uh, number of independent bookstores right now. Um, I have links on KimberlyVanGinkle.com. You can find links to all of the main players in this thing, or you can download it or, or buy the paperback. Okay, so in the social media realm, where can people find you beyond your website? Because let me tell you a little quick story. Um, my mother, I'm 35 years old, so that tells you how old my mother is. My mother, she has this phone and she will get on anything that I put on there. And I told you about my process with putting things on the phone to get certain results. So my mom, she'll go over to Apple Bookstore. She'll go over to Kindle if she's got the iPad or whatever she's using. And she'll find a book, she'll buy it, whatever. But when she wants to learn about you, she wants a one-stop place to go. So my question to you is, is it better to go to the website first? Or is it better to find you on social media than go to the website? You know, you're going to see a different side of me based on which one you go to. If you go to Instagram and look me up, you're going to see the happy fun side of, you know, where I live and what I'm doing. If you go to my website, what you're going to see in addition to, you know, seeing things about my book, you're going to see all of the research that I've done and all of my opinions on that. So I, I keep a blog that has, I am obsessed with technology and history. And so I keep a blog about all of the crazy things that have happened in technology over the last hundred years or pop culture or just weird things like that. So people that like to read tend to like the blog better. People who just want a little glimpse of me go to Instagram. Okay. Okay. I like that. Now um, comes a point in the show and I do this with all of my guests, all of my okay. guests. Um, you got to give back to us. We want to know a secret or a hidden talent that no one knows about. And let me say this. This is her first ever podcast interview. So, <laughs> so I kind of put her on the spot with this because the way that we work material out is, is I always give everybody a set sheet of questions. I don't ask any of those questions on that sheet of paper. It just gives you a familiarity with me. Because notice, I didn't ask you any of those questions, did I? No, you didn't. No. <laughs> but I rewarded <laughs> things and it worked out because we made a great organic conversation. And hopefully a ton of people read your book and go out here and join it with you and then they get ready for something else we'll talk about in a little bit so what is your secret or your hidden talent that no one knows and remember this is her first podcast so this is going to be exclusive information that's going to get out to the world some dude just think about this some dude in pittsburgh a guy in topeka kansas i don't know i always go with topeka kansas but and then some guy in detroit almost close to toronto it's going to know this secret. So <laughs> let us know what it is. I'll tell you, uh, some of my guests, I had a, a rapper on here from out of New York City. He could rap real fast. So I'd never think anything about that. This kid yeah. could solve in a Rubik's Cube in 40 seconds. Oh my I gosh. I talked to a lady from uh, Georgia. She goes into Goodwill stores and any other fine thrift stores, buys artwork, puts rhinestones and glitter on it and resells it at high prices. Oh my gosh different tastes. I know I'm thinking about doing it the next time I get from free time. I will do that. I have <laughs> had, a, had another um, nice lady talk to me from out of the state of Virginia. 
she does not does not like the sound of a can clicking that that carbonation. Okay. If sure. she if she hears that, it stops her day, it interrupts her life, and she has to stop what she's doing to get correct again. So okay. um the last one is my favorite one. This lady, she did an interview with me and she said she remembers everybody by an article of clothing they have on. So if you have oh. on just a plain t-shirt, she will never remember you. If you have an emblem like I wear Nautica or whatever, or if you have a John Deere shirt on or a flannel shirt, she will remember the color pattern and detail. And that is your name, your flannel shirt, red, yellow guy or gal. So all these people have these different things. And I'm like, wow. My only thing is, is that uh, my, my secret, which isn't a secret anymore, is, is real simple. Even though I live in West Virginia, I'm in one of those places we call the Mountain Dew areas where we do extreme stuff. I cannot swim, but I go to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, I've been to California, so I've been out to Pacific. I go to these random places and I will get in the water and touch it. I won't go too far, but I always keep someone with me that can swim so that I'll live and I hope they live, but they'll get me back to the shore. So that's my deep, dark secret. Even though I can't swim, I will get out on boats. I will go places, but I won't go really too far out there. Like I would never take a boat from Virginia to England or anything like that, or from even Virginia to Canada or vice versa anywhere else. I wouldn't go down the Mississippi or the Ohio, you know, very far. So that's my secret. So now what is your secret talent or just a secret? Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple. You pick the one that you want. Well, you do all of them then. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the dumbest thing about me is that I can never remember colors. So I have a real hard time with faces. So if somebody ever robs me and I have to do a police lineup, it's probably going to be the middle one, you know, <laughs> so don't stand in the middle. <laughs> But I can never remember colors. So if ever I'm trying to describe a car, I don't know, it might have been brownish, and then it turns out it was white. Um, I have forever given people really poor instructions to my house. Thank God for GPS, that I can just give them the address <laughs> and they show up. Because every house I've ever lived in, I've called it pink, because to me it's pink. But no, my whole family says this house is yellow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just nuts. Yes. So I don't know if my color spectrum is off or if I'm just really bad at details. I mean, that's really <laughs> far, yellow to pink. <laughs> no, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's goofy. It's goofy. So that's my bad one. My talent, I, okay, my talent might be computer programming. Okay. Um, not any not deep into any language. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. But what I'm really good at is taking little snippets of this code and little snippets of this code and pulling it all together to create something. And I have realized <laughs> as I say that, that is as boring as it gets. So don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I write fantasy because my real life, my real life, I am, um, I am an IT accountant. Okay. At a at a printing company, which is as boring as it sounds. So all day long, I've got little characters dancing in my head to liven things up a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. So let, let me ask you this, because um, I, I went and got a computer info systems degree. So, you know, we messed with Python. That was the thing. So okay. Python's easy. You can just run with that. So so okay. inside these computer languages, what is your favorite computer language? Just Oh, PHP. Easy. PHP. Okay. That's my go-to and everything. I tend to do, I tend to work with databases quite a bit. So that's my go-to to pull everything out and manipulate it and do what I want to do. Okay. And that's something interesting because once you go on from here, this podcast will come out, people will hear it and they'll know this about you and then they may come find you. 
don't uh, want to give advice. <laughs> <laughs> they may come for advice too. I tell you what, I'm going to give you one more quirky thing. So I was thinking okay. about. So I am very much a numbers person, and so when I was young, I learned how to crochet. Um, my my grandmother had leukemia. She was in and out of of the hospital constantly, and so whenever I'd be sitting in the hospital waiting on her, she'd teach me how to crochet. So I've been doing that my whole life. So what I do now is I make puppets that look like people that I know by crocheting them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, sometimes they're really cute. Sometimes it looks like I'm, um, uh, what's that thing that you stick pins in? Um, the thing that looks like a tomato? No, like sometimes it looks like I'm making a little doll that you stick pins in the uh, voodoo doll or a voodoo doll. Sometimes they look like voodoo dolls. Sometimes they look cute. <laughs> I, had, I had one of my close friends. Um, it was doing a goth wedding. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to make that. This is a perfect time. I'm going to make him some little dolls. And I did. And it kind of looked like Gomez and Morticia, which I wasn't intending it to be. <laughs> but yeah. That that, that's that's amazing that's a little hilarious and it's, <laughs> I, I hope no one got a broken leg or anything out of that instance <laughs> okay. they, they with it. now swinging back to your book because we like, i like to go different ways with it so that way there's a different tempo and yeah. in podcasting this weird thing that we have going on and i'll just do it real fast with you because i didn't tell you about it earlier sure. um and once once again guys remember this is her first ever podcast interview so um we have listeners that skip through in different places. So we need to go back through and do a shameless plug for your <laughs> book one more time. In the Sleep of Death. In the Sleep of Death. Yes. Um, it's, it's a supernatural fantasy set in the Old West and uh, Victorian St. Louis. It's um, I tell people it's not really a romance, but there's a strong romance vibe in it. Um, a lot of supernatural stuff going on. Um, if you enjoy the Old West, I really used a lot of different Indian tribes. Um, the Pawnee, the Osage, the Cherokee really have a lot of that flowing through it. And I researched the heck out of that. So hopefully I got it all correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, social media one more time, because we okay. have this one listener that will, uh, five seconds, you get a download. And then you okay. have then you have religious people that and not talking about religion, but we just have people that are legion listeners basically. They will go mm -hmm. in and they'll be like, I'm gonna listen at minute marker five twenty-five, or I'm gonna listen at the last thirty-two okay. seconds. Okay. So okay. social media, where can they find you, Kimberly? Um, at Van Ginkle Author on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. And like you said earlier. You're going to find out, you're going to see a friendlier side on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You're going to and get more, go ahead. A little bit more quirky if you go to my website, KimberlyVanGinkle.com. That's okay. where you're going to see all of the really strange stories that I've run across and uh, a little bit of science and a little bit of technology, but it's fun. Okay. So now you have this new book out right mm -hmm. now. Here's the question that everybody wants to know. And this is the thing that we'll end on so that you can have a little catalyst to jump off later on. What's in the future for you? Um, I have two more novels in motion right now. And yes, they're both set in the Midwest and they're both fantasy. So my goal is within uh, probably two to three years, I'll have the next one on the market. 
Oh, wow. And see, I like that because you, you set a strategy there. Understand like what you just did there. You just helped someone set up their sequels, prequels, or you didn't say anything about any continuum between the books. And I'll ask right. that in just a second, but you just set some white body up in how to do chronological things. So that's a gym. You, another gym you put out there for people. Cause, <laughs> cool. cause you know, some people will be like, Oh, I'll put the first book out. I need to rush and get the next one out in 18 months or like 16 months or something. Well, over a year, but, but you know, not full two years. So do these books have any continuum from the first book? Um, no, actually these are all set in completely different worlds. Um, oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's night and day, completely different. In fact, one of them is a little bit of a steampunk sort of a fantasy. Okay. So, so. so what's amazing about what you just told me there that sets us up for another interview in the near, near future. And also um, an interview later, because we'll, we have all kinds of topics that we do on here. So Kimberly Van Ginkle, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia and Commonplace. This is not the goodbye. This is where I do my famous testimonial. So you're writing a book and your book's on a time frame that you're passionate about. When you're doing that and you don't probably haven't realized this, you're opening the eyes to people to something that they probably didn't know they may have an interest in. And that's something amazing because we're all so flat now. I'm worried about the next super mario game or i'm worried about the next uh, game of thrones type book or even comic books the part of reality that you're talking about is a part of reality that it gets shown a little bit of love here and there but it doesn't get that much light so i want to commend you for that and okay. initially and initially a funny thing that goes into this interview uh and, and i'm really appreciative of you doing this at first you didn't think that you had enough content to come do an interview <laughs> I was nervous about it. Yes. But yeah. you realized as you started talking and we started getting a little familiar that you have an amazing book. You have a talent. Talent is a hard thing to put a measurement on or, you know, put a graph to it. So inside that talent, it's brewed from your mother and your father. A lot of the inside literary elements come from your mother, from what I've gathered from talking to you. Um, and the world will be appreciative of her. Um, it's a it's a guiding type of love that she's giving you. And I said the word guiding in how you created this book, um, even when she was here and even when she left, because she only left in one entity. She's here with you always. We both know that. So your 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 testimony here is so many other people, not just yours. So at the end of the day, you got to pat yourself on the back because not a lot of people get to tell their story. People do in folklore. It's like I sit back, I'm a, um, I tell folklores all the time. I tried to write a book one time and I'll be hundred percent honest with you. I got eight pages deep into it, put it on KDP and it was trash. Okay. I didn't write, I write, I, cause I wanted to test to see what it would sound like. And someone just, they were honest. They're like, you, you're a speaker. You're that folklore guy. Leave writing to people that write. You're a scribe. It yeah. is so hard to be a scribe because anybody can put something to, to pen and paper. Anybody can type it on their brother typewriter or on their computer, whatever you have or your tape recorder, but to actually get it to fruition to where it's going through an agent to a publisher and it's out there, that's forbidden territory nowadays because everyone I know throws it on KDP and they have to promote it. So I commend you there. So know that you're a solid author. Know that in this world, there's not many like you. So when you wake up and you eat your Wheaties or your cream of wheat or whatever you eat, understand that 
writing your book and having the confidence to do that, even though when we first talked, you didn't think that you had much to offer, your confidence got, got bigger as this episode's going on. I want you to keep that strong confidence. I want you to go out here and push this book to the ceiling because you have a topic that nobody's talking about. Oh, thank you so much for that. That makes me feel so wonderful. Um, and, and I want to say, I, I don't at all look down on anybody that is doing straight to publishing themselves. I've seen some great books that have been self-published, but this is what I needed to, this has been my goal is to get traditionally published. And, and this is what I needed for myself to feel like I had made it. And you lived your dream. Right, right. And everybody has different steps and, you know, whatever, whatever path takes you there, I respect it, but this is the way that I had to do it for myself. So thank you for saying all of that. And this has been such a wonderful experience for me being on here. I've really enjoyed this. And I thank you very much. So everyone, um, once again, Kimberly Van Ginkle and her book. In the Sleep of Death. In the Sleep of Death. It is available on many platforms. And the great thing about podcasts are that we have this great thing called show notes. In the show notes for every streaming service that it's available on, which are right now at 16 streaming services, and we have um, some embedded players on other people's random websites, they can look in the show notes and I'll get links provided by you to me later on. Um, They will be able to find everything. So that's the back burner of advertising with a podcast because you're going to have that and if you do it on Google Podcasts, right, everything is is searchable just from the click of the podcast. So they're going to go straight to you. So um, like I do every single author, I'm going to wish you the best of luck in your endeavors in the future. Oh, and I so hope much. and I hope that when the next book comes out or even in between then when we have a topic that even relates to you or, or you just want to come back. We would always love to have you back on here as a guest. And um, there is a, a second co-host. The second co-host is uh, out right now. Um, when she comes back, it'll be more lively. And we'll definitely have you on then. And um, to all the listeners, just think about this real quick. There's a time period that we all know about. And you said 1883. Yes. When I think of 18 something, 63 for some reason, or 64 sticks in my mind, maybe it's the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, Emancipation Proclamation sticks in my head. But 1883, it's going to rival in my head. And I'm not a history buff, but I'm going to go back and look and see what's going on industrial wise. Because that stern wheel ran from Cincinnati all the way down, or actually from Pittsburgh all the way down. So Uh you've ignited something in me. And I want to tell you, thank you. You know, (laughs) 1883, I want to look that up. So once again, guys, I'm going to sign off now. Um, It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. West Virginia Convoy signing off.